Welcome to 24 Karat Conversations with Phyllis and Rhonda, where two best friends decided to start a podcast on real women, real friendships, and real issues. Our mission Bible verse is Job 23.10. Yet he knows the way I have taken, and when he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. We want to encourage, inspire, and offer hope in a world where life can seem to be unrealistic. Be a support for you to cheer you on as a wife, mother, daughter, sister, and friend. Most of all, you get to relax and laugh with us about all things women. Plus, we like all things sparkly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, hello, 24 Karat Tribe. I um, have a special guest, two special guests with me today. (laughs) Unfortunately, my co-host Phyllis called me this morning and is incredibly sick, and so I did not want her to share her virus with me. So I asked my daughter, Nina, and you've um, talked to her before because she was on our mother-daughter episode, um, to join us. So say hello, Nina. Hello, everyone. I'm back. (laughs) And I also have a wonderful guest with us today. Her name is Sarah Boyd. I came across Sarah on social media, and I loved her story and her passion to help others. She's not only a cancer survivor, but has her master's degree in psychology and also in neuroscience. She has a program called eSchool that helps you figure out strategies to overcome stress and adversity, and she also wrote a book called The Boy Who Stood Up Tall. So we're excited to hear more about that today also. So hello, Sarah. Hello, Rhonda and Nina. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited. I know. We're so excited to have you, and um, I was just telling her before the podcast how much I love her accent. (laughs) (laughs) You're so kind. I love that. Yes, I am Australian. Um, We have immigrated here to the States about two and a half years ago, so um, I hope you can all still understand me with my accent. (laughs) Well, we love it. We're so excited to have you. So, um, Sarah, tell us a little bit, maybe tell us a little bit about your story first and tell us how, like, you started, you know, to kind of help others. Sure. So, um, I have always been very fascinated in what makes people tick. And the questions that, um, you know, understanding the psychology of people. And so I chose psychology as my kind of study when I was in school and um, then started in the workforce. And I, and I started as a pastor in ministry and working with young people. And, and then I also was doing, my husband started his business in corporate training. And so we would occasionally do um, training sessions together in, in businesses And I would particularly talk about resilience, which is the emotional capacity to overcome stress. And I was always really impacted by how many people in their, you know, who were middle age or even older age kind of coming up to me at the end of the session in tears saying, this has really impacted me. I wish I knew this when I was younger. Mm. And so that was all kind of just happening and and I was really interested in topics, but it wasn't until... um, it was a Friday morning in November when I was 27 years old and I got the phone call that um, everyone dreads and my doctor um, had called me very early in the morning to say that I had had some lab work come back suspicious and he was, you know, moving his whole schedule. I had to come in immediately and that became a, became a process where I was originally diagnosed with uh, thyroid cancer wow. that was an aggressive form and was already beginning to show signs of spreading into my lymph nodes. So that was an 18-month journey of um, treatment and that particular life experience really threw my life upside down just emotionally. I was not expecting to go through 
anything like that at the age that I was going through. I was just very much still in that naive, like, life is awesome and, you know, yeah. nothing, you know, nothing bad's ever going to happen. Right. <laughs> I mean, you're in your 20s. Um, and, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I was really faced with my mortality and um, that, in hindsight, not at the time, but in hindsight was a huge blessing because it caused me and forced me to ask myself some questions about how I was showing up and living in my life. Um, and then since that time, you know, by the grace of God, I was given the all clear and have been all clear ever since. And I then had straight, pretty much straight after I was, uh, we were given the all clear out, we fell pregnant with our first child, my son. And mm. then two years later, we welcomed my daughter. Um, so it was a combination of kind of my background and my educational background and then going through such a big life experience like cancer. Um, and then also becoming a mother that really kind of forged this fire in my heart of wondering what we're doing to equip people to deal with stress and adversity. Because the, the truth is, is that the way that we deal with stress and the way that we overcome challenge, we can't control what's going to happen to us. But if we don't develop the capacity to know how to work through and navigate stressful situations, it's actually the thing that determines our life trajectory and our future success and happiness. And so that's really what um, bore uh, my mission now, which is Resilient Little Hearts, which is to equip children um, with these like these skills of resilience. Yeah, I think that's great because, um, you know, I feel like, I don't know, I think with with also with all the media and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's different for kids nowadays, you know, they're, they're dealing with a lot more pressure. And I feel, I mean, yeah. I know that, you know, in 2002, you know, my daughter passed away and Nina was four yeah. when that happened. And I mean, do you want to share Nina a little bit about yeah, I mean, I mean, nowadays it's 10 times worse for kids. Like I didn't have social media and all of the input that goes into your mind as a little kid. And I struggled with it. I mean, I always like categorized myself as just someone that's just always had so much anxiety and fear. Like after four years old, I was a perfectionist almost. I wanted everything to be okay. I wanted to control everything. I would freak out. I mean, you tell me all the time about my shoes being perfectly tied. You know, I was always such a control freak. And so I can totally relate to just trying to manage that stress and trying to figure out how to cope with just the worries and the what ifs in life. And so it's constantly a process. Yeah. And I think like, you know, I'm so sorry that both of you like had to walk through such a situation like that. And, yeah. and it is life, life is really painful at times. And I think what happens is, is when we go through something painful, neurologically, our brain is looking for a reason why. Mm-hmm. So we're wired to avoid pain. So if you touch a hot stove, you're, you know, and you recoil from that, your brain then quickly goes, okay, the stove is hot, don't touch it again so that you won't feel pain. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with that is when we go through something traumatic um, where maybe there is no answer, there is no clear um, reason why it occurred, one of two things happens. We either begin to blame ourselves and start to develop a whole host of Um, behaviors in an attempt to try to control us not having to go through pain again Mm -hmm. or we sometimes blame God and get angry at you know 
how did this happen? And, and that can affect our heart that way as well. And so I think it's really normal to, to, when you go through something like what you've gone through to develop coping mechanisms. And sometimes they're like perfectionism. Sometimes they can be really unhealthy coping mechanisms, like especially as people get older, that's why they get into drugs and alcohol. Yeah, mm-hmm. It always comes from pain. And so um, I think it's incredible that you've had the insight to kind of see, oh, maybe this kind of behavior that I'm, doing has come back to that. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I do feel like, you know, that's why I love, you know, what you're doing with this book, because I do feel like if we can, if we can catch it when we're younger, you know what I mean? We're just going to be able to be better adults, Mm -hmm. you know? And And I always tell her, I go, you know, Nina, I go, I just, I'm telling you because I don't want you to be 47 and learning this. Like I'm telling you because I learned this too late in life, you know? And I know, you know, you can't keep us from learning life lessons and, you know, our kids are going to have to learn those life lessons on their own. But if you can kind of help them navigate through that, I feel like they're just going to be more productive, you know, more successful adults. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Because you want the generations to get stronger. And of course, we're not going to be able to completely save them or prepare them from the stuff that they're going to have to face. But you want them to have the wisdom and the insight that you've at least gleaned so that they don't have to get stuck in the same mistakes that maybe we've gone through ourselves. Yeah, no, for sure. And so tell us a little bit about the book and tell us like what, um, what it's about and, and how it came about. Sure. So, um, I think how it just came about is I suddenly got all these ideas for basically a children's book collection on all different topics around resilience and courage. And so, the Boy Who Stood Up Tall, which is our first children's book, is the first one um, in that collection that we've been able to publish so far. And it's all about courage. And um, I think the, the, the reason that I chose our story, apart from the fact that I'm naturally a writer, <laughs> is um, children don't learn by, you know, just being spoken to. They mm-hmm. actually learn best through story and the metaphor of story. If you think about what you remember from your childhood, some of your favorite like books and stories is really what sticks in your mind. And so the boy who slept tall is about courage is teaching children what courage is, that it's not a feeling, that it's an action that we take. And in particular, um, the book's really written for um, tender-hearted or sensitive or even like children who tend to, to go towards anxiety and just validating their experience of the world and their feelings in the world, but also at the same time teaching them that the only way for us to overcome our fears is to stand up to them. Mm, that's, that is so that. awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I do, I mean, I know that, um, a lot of kids deal with anxiety nowadays. And so, I mean, I feel, and, and what's the age range on this book? I mean, what, what age would you recommend to parents? Yeah. Um, so it's a picture book. It's mm-hmm. kind of categorized between ages four and eight. But we've had I've had children up to eleven or twelve actually read it and say to me, "Oh, I really liked this book because I kind of wrote it in a way that it would relate to children, but also kind of speak to the adults that were reading it." Yeah, children because they're my favorite books to read to my children. Yeah, um, things that make me think. So yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I I just think that that's just such a, and I do feel like there's not a ton of books about anxiety or fear out there for kids, you know, because 
we kind of assume that kids aren't feeling those things. But, you know, when you look at, you know, all of the things that they're having to deal with, you know, um, just a few months back, we had a mass shooting here in our town. And um, we were talking to one of Nina's friends the other day who happened to be very much involved. She was there when the shooting happened and the trauma that she has from that and the trauma that little kids that were there um, because it just so happened that the shooter came out right where the whole kids playground area was. So, you know, there were kids that were yeah. there that, you know, I'm sure are traumatized and, and, you know, our kids are having to deal with things like mass shootings and those sort of, you know, really tough things that we didn't deal with when we were, you know, in school. So, I- yeah. And I think that you've definitely touched on a great thing there, Rhonda, in terms of like, I think there's, been an assumption in past generations that children don't feel like the same level of emotions that we do or they they're not as affected by maybe what we're affected by and it's not actually true at all like apart from the fact that this generation are growing up in a very different circumstance with Mm -hmm. the stimulation and pressure and the complexity of social media and all of the media um the truth is is that anything that you are going through in your family's life or that they're being exposed to at school or anything else is affecting them. And for us, the, the problem the, the problem with us making the assumption that they're not affected is that we don't engage them in conversation right. about how they're feeling and trying to support them. Yeah. And so it's not about, you know, are we doing a good enough job? It's just that if we make the wrong assumption there, we then don't try and be there for them and, and, and support them because there's kind of been this old belief in past generations that, oh, children are resilient. Like it yeah. doesn't matter what they go through, they'll bounce, they'll mm-hmm. bounce back. But mm-hmm. just because a child is not overtly crying or overtly upset doesn't mean they're not affected because a lot of the times we all go into coping mechanisms. And you and I both know from just being adults that sometimes we're naturally someone who cries, but sometimes we're naturally someone who doesn't maybe cry and just goes into like shut down and, and keep mm. our emotions to ourselves. And so that the shutdown doesn't mean that they're not affected. It's actually that they don't, they haven't got to a point where they've processed what they've been through. Yeah, no, and mm. I, I totally believe that. Cause I, I mean, I remember, uh, right after our daughter had died, um, Nina had, you know, gone home with my mom for, um, to, you know, my mom was just kind of taking care of her, care of her while I was in the hospital. And she literally had this little tiny, tiny, uh, just like a, a little, scab. like a scab yeah. Yeah, on her nose. And she picked it to the point where it was like, I mean, we ended up having to take her to the ER to look at it because it was so infected and it was kind of her way of like coping because she didn't know what to do, you know? And, um, you know, my mom even says she didn't cry a lot. I mean, it's just kind of interesting. You know, a lot of people go, well, she was four, you know, she didn't. And I was like, no, she was very aware of, you know, the situation that happened and, you know, that her sister wasn't coming home, you know? Yeah, and and the thing with children, too, is that their brains haven't fully developed so that part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is our logical reasoning side, it hasn't it doesn't fully develop to adulthood. And so children are experiencing these types of situations without the ability to logically process and reason. Mm. And so that's why a lot of the times what what we go through when we're younger, um, we, we make different or weird meanings about the thing we blame ourselves for things that maybe weren't our fault we we create 
connections and, mm-hmm. and to deal with that because we really don't have the neurological ability to process their emotions when they're that young. Yeah. I mean, and even as adults, you know, I mean, I, you know, I've talked to so many different moms that have gone through, you know, the loss of a child and they'll, they feel guilty for, um, grieving because, you know, they feel like for that other child that's, you know, left behind, they're, they're not able to even be like the best mom that they can be because, you know, they're dealing with their own stuff. And there's a lot of guilt and and anxiety that comes in with that too. And I mean, I, even to this day, I still deal with that sometimes. I mean, uh, just last week I had a major anxiety attack and I hadn't had one in a really, really long time, but it just came on. And I've been so good about learning to like, manage it, but I feel like I just had way too much on my plate and I had to like step back and go, okay, I need to take some days off work. I need to go talk to my counselor. (laughs) I need to go, you know, get a massage. I need to go do some self-care right now. And I think we have a hard time doing that, you know, especially as business women, as wives, as moms, you know, we have a lot on our plate. Yeah. It's like, it's a non-stop thing, isn't it? Because yeah. I think it's our desire maternally to, we want to protect our ch- child and mm-hmm. we especially want to protect them from pain. And so it's it's a really challenging situation when we're going through it and we're not okay. Um, and that's why, the, like, I often get asked the question, you know, like, what, what can we do to help our child's mental health? And one of the best things you can do is help your own mental health. Yeah. Because mm, if you're... Good. You know, and it's not about having a, a you know bad days or even weeks. It's about the trajectory of your life. And so, you know, we, we tend as women to really beat ourselves up over bad days and and bad moments and things. But it's your ch- your child isn't. It's not just about the moments. It's about the trajectory. And so, if you're doing the things long term to actually keep yourself okay, and keep yourself in a healthy place, that's the best thing you can do for your child. Yeah, and I agree because I feel like. Um, I've always been very transparent with my children. Like they know if I'm having a bad day and then we'll kind of talk about it after, you know, if I've had, um, you know, an anxiety attack or whatever, we'll, we'll discuss it because I don't want them to think, I think a lot of times, and I, I do feel like back in the day, you know, we really didn't see that from our parents. They were much more stoic as far as like showing their emotion and those kinds of things. So I have to say like moving into this generation, it, it, I was like, I, you know, I don't want to be the, the parent that doesn't show emotion or feeling or I've had a bad day or a bad week or, you know, whatever. Yeah, the transparency yeah. of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's helped me, like, to see that my parents are normal, like, knowing that it's okay to yeah. cry and have bad days, but then also able to see the resolution of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that because exactly right. Like one of the, the greatest things you can do for emotional health is being able just to talk about your emotions. Yeah. And it might seem such a simple thing. It's like, you know, it's a doctor saying if you want to be healthy, you should eat your vegetables. Like it, we all kind of know it, but it just almost seems too simple to, to, to do. But yeah. I mean, I think too the fact, like I love that you do that, Rhonda, because, you know, on top of that, if you're saying, you know, like sometimes like I do that with my children, if I have a bad day or I'm a bit upset or maybe I felt like, you know what, I, I really, you know, hashtag parenting fail. I really didn't do a great job today. Yeah. One, one of the things that I'm intentional about is just actually going to my child, my children and just saying, Hey, like mommy, mommy had a bad day today. 
Yeah. And, you know, if mummy was a bit grumpy or mummy lost her temper, it wasn't actually you, it was mummy. And just constantly reframing, taking responsibility for yes. my own emotional state and and not, you know, not expecting myself to be perfect, but at the same time intentionally making sure that my children are not blaming themselves for something that is not their fault. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. And I do think a lot of, I think a lot of parents have a hard time with that. Like, you know, I'm not, you know, even with like, you know, family arguments and those kinds of things, like, you know, I, it doesn't always go well, you know, when you're in an argument. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, for a long time, you know, I'd be like, oh man, you know, cause when I was growing up, it was like, oh, you don't fight in front of your children. And, you know, I mean, I don't, I, that's not like something I would love to do in front of my children is argue with my husband, you know, but sometimes it happens. And, um, you know, when Nina and I and my other daughter, Clea, have had conversation about it, I'm like, they've been able to also see resolution from it. So it's, you know, I do feel. And that's the key, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. And that, actually that's the key because, sorry to interrupt you, but no, no. like if the children is just seeing the constant fight and they're not seeing the resolution, that's when it becomes um, stressful. But if mm. they're seeing the resolution, you're actually giving them a, um, like a signpost of this is how we do conflict resolution. Right. And, if, and uh, so like, no, go ahead. Sorry, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, and oh, if they don't no, see yeah. anything, you know, if they don't ever see your, a parent argue or yeah. like, you know, it's complete, then they, they don't realize that like in real life, people have conflict because, you know, yeah. you're going to have conflict at work. You're going to have conflict with friendships. You're going to have conflict with your spouse, with your siblings, you know, and if they don't see that, how do they know to, you to don't do know how resolution? to manage it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I, I a hundred percent agree with that. And um, Sarah, I know that, you know, you navigating stressful situations, you've kind of advised people with how to do that. Um, Was there anything that inspired you to want to help people in those certain situations? Yeah, I think it was um, a lot of going through my own cancer journey and just Mm -hmm. realizing that um, how easy it is to get stuck in a negative spiral in terms of your thinking and how much your your whole feeling of the level of contentment and joy in your life is actually about how you deal with stress and how you deal with pain um and you know as I have had the privilege and opportunity to work with a lot of individuals whether it's been in a ministry context at church Mm -hmm. or whether it's been in a business context um almost all negative coping behaviors or almost all negative traits that we see in people a lot of times it's just people hurting and Mm, they've gone through something that maybe they don't talk about to the Mm. general public and they've struggled to resolve it and they've struggled to not that you necessarily get over what you go through because you know it it forms part of who you are but Mm. it is possible to rebuild your life into a newer version of yourself a lot of times when we talk about mental illness people talk about post-traumatic stress which is a very extreme degree, but it, a lot of it, mental illness is essentially um, when you've gone through something and in your brain locks into anxiety or depression mm. and, 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 and struggling to cope and make meaning from what you've gone through. A lot of the research now is also talking about this concept called post-traumatic growth, which is individuals who it's actually because of the traumatic thing that they've been through and they've worked through it. They've gone through the messy middle. It's not to say that they haven't had really dark times and really high emotions, but as they've gone through it 
out the other side, no matter how long that's taken them, they actually report higher levels of um, connection with their loved ones. They they report a deeper sense of their spirituality. They they also report a deeper sense of purpose. And I think, Rhonda, like we were talking about before, yeah. um, we started the podcast, you know, I, that's in a sense what happens with you where you've mm-hmm. taken this deeply painful thing that you've been through with losing your daughter, but you've developed it through how you've parented your children and also even now this podcast and creating space and conversations for other people to talk about it. That's the sense of post, what they call post-traumatic growth because mm. that stuff wouldn't have happened if you hadn't gone through the trauma. And so right. it's not about resilience isn't about returning to who you were before the pain or the grief because mm-hmm. that's impossible. That person's gone. Yeah. But there, it, there is hope to rebuild into a beautiful because like I really believe there's beauty and meaning and hope even in dark places and Mm -hmm. you don't have to return to the old but there's a possibility of the new yeah Yeah. and you know that is that's that's so profound because (laughs) you just made me feel really normal because I'm just going to tell people I'm in my post-traumatic growth mode okay I've never heard that (laughs) I'm going to start using that Because it's so true, you know, you, you sometimes beat yourself up. You're like, man, you know, the person that I was when I was 27 and went through that is not the person who I am today. But at the same time, I'm so glad I'm not that same person because, you know, and I, I'm sure you feel this way even with your cancer, is I learned yeah. to be more compassionate. I'm a better person because of what I went through. And I feel like sometimes people take you know, what life has given them and dealt them and they, they, they're so negative about it. And, and I just don't feel that way about, you know, I, yeah. Do I wish my daughter was here? Absolutely. But in another way, I feel like she taught me so much through her death, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we've all yeah. learned so much as a family. So. I feel exactly the same with cancer. Like I would never wish that experience upon anyone, but mm-hmm. at the same time, if you gave me the chance to change it, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. because it, it changed so much of who I was and how I saw the world. I mm-hmm. was living in so much fear and all of the stuff that I'm doing now and in business and would literally not happen because I was paralyzed by fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and who I am today wouldn't have happened. So as much, that's the thing about pain. And, you know, that the problem is, is that when someone's going through the pain, when they're still in that messy middle bit, we all say that to them. We say, oh, like maybe at the end of this, like you'll grow and be an awesome person. Someone in pain doesn't want to hear that, <laughs> yeah, you know, no. because you're in pain they, and they're walking through that. But it, but in hindsight, um, there is great value in going through hard times because it's actually what deepens your, your personhood. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And then, you know, you know, being able to have to deal with that pain and especially like as being an entrepreneur, like I'm only 21 and having my own business, it's really hard to deal with the stress of it all. I always say I'm like such a stress case. I think way too much into things where it does not need to be that thought about. Yeah. So what would you, um, you know, advise someone who's an entrepreneur and a leader um, to deal with the stress, um, you know, of life? Yeah, so um, when you're an entrepreneur or you're in, you know, a leadership kind of position in in work or whatever, you have signed up for a roller coaster ride, yeah. essentially, <laughs> uh, because one of the things, 
one of the biggest things that you're saying yes to in, in as an entrepreneur or leader is dealing with a higher degree of uncertainty than mm. the general population. Mm. And un- our brain hates uncertainty. It will do anything. It craves certainty. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times that's when we develop um, like things like OCD, like behaviors or rituals when we're anxious and that sort of stuff because it's the brain's like last attempt to try and latch on to something that will give certainty. And so part of the problem that when we're entrepreneurs and when we're leaders is we're we're having to deal with a higher degree of uncertainty than, than the general population. So there's two sides of dealing with stress when you're in that position. The first side is mindset and when you are an entrepreneur and you're dealing with higher degrees of uncertainty, you have to become really mentally strong and you have to learn how to have a growth mindset. You have to learn how to to deal with failure and not take it so personally. You have to learn how to have a more, um, you know, I think Brene Brown says it great. It's like strong back, I mean, strong front, soft back. You don't want to make your heart hard, but you do have to have a certain degree of, um, like, resistance or the word would be maybe resilience in terms of, like, moving and and pushing stuff forward. Um, And, you know, the the higher you go in your business journey, the more it's going to require of you mentally. And the thing that I'm really passionate about too, though, is, you know, um, I work with a lot of, and, and we're in circles with a lot of extremely successful entrepreneurs in running businesses of multi six and seven figure businesses, mm. and they are um, they've got this mindset thing down. They're machines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the things that I'm passionate about too is also making sure that resilience also includes emotional safety. And so it's always important that regardless of where you're at in your journey in leadership or entrepreneurship, that you have a handful of people that you feel emotionally safe with, that will Mm. love you whether the business will fail, that will believe in you no matter where it's up to, that will back you, that you feel like you can share your fears and your frustrations with no judgments from them. Because if we don't have the balance of both the emotional health and the mindset, what happens is we we start to disassociate from our emotions in order to um, create this kind of, mindset that can never be broken and a lot of times you know over the years this is what gets entrepreneurs into trouble where their families and marriages break down um Mm. where their health breaks down because they just so disassociate from their heart and their emotions so Mm. it really is the balance between the two yeah i think that's really important we just did an episode last week on your tribe and we talked about that. We said, you know, you just have different people that are part of your tribe, but you have to, the one tribe that you do need is that supportive tribe that's not going to judge you and not going to, yeah. you know, if you freak out and have an emotional moment, they're not going to be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, um, you just yeah. really have to have those people that are backing you for sure. And I, I know, you mm-hmm. know, that's a big challenge when you're, um, you know, going to be an entrepreneur, even when you do something, I mean, even like this podcast, you know, it, it, it's, it was a lot of fear, you know, walking into it, not knowing what to expect and how it would turn out and all of those things. But I feel like if you don't do it, I don't, I don't want to end this life regretting things that I wanted to do. So, you know, I feel like that's yeah. kind of where my mindset has, has been over just even over the last five years, you know, just, I want to, be a better version of myself every day and, and do the things that I'm really passionate about. 
Yeah, I, I love that. And that's where I come from too in, in my business because, you know, I feel uncertainty and fear every day. I, you know, it, mm-hmm. when you're pioneering something, not, you never know what you're doing. Right. You're always that's trying true. to do something new. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it really is about finding something that you fear more. And for me, what I fear more is getting to the end of my life. And, and, and this is the blessing for me of cancer and having to face my mortality at such a young age is, the biggest thing that came up for me was the regret, not of not doing everything, but of not trying and yeah. not putting myself in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I know for a fact that if, you know, my life ended, you know, tomorrow, uh, I know that I've at least put myself in the game and I've given what was in my heart a try and I've tried to be a good steward of that. And that is what really brings fulfillment. That's yeah, so good. That is yeah. that is such great, great, great advice. So my last question for you, Sarah, is what advice would you give your 22-year-old self now? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's kind of a standard question we ask everybody. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I think I just got married at 22. Wow, I was a young... One, um, <laughs> the advice I would give my 22-year-old self is that you're probably going to go through a lot more pain than you ever expected to go through in life, but you're going to find a lot more beauty and meaning in it. And um, I would also tell her that everything that's in her heart is going to come to pass, mm. but it's not going to come to pass in the way and the process through which you think it's going to come to pass. Wow. And to just hold on for the journey and to trust God. Oh, that is, that's, that's beautiful. That's you so almost amazing. made me cry yeah. right there. <laughs> Thanks for the tears. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, um, I know that you have your, so give me your website. I also want you to kind of just touch real quickly on the reframe your brain checklist because I just downloaded it and I'm so excited. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I've got kind of two websites. We've got, if you're looking for resources for your children, um, we've got resilientlittlehearts.com and we're on that on all social platforms. Um, and then my own website is just sarahboyd.co, not .com. We couldn't get the .com, so we're just .co. Okay. And, um, yeah, I've got a reframe. It's a free checklist. It's Reframe Your Brain. It's nine powerful questions to ask yourself when you're going through a challenging situation. A lot of times our brain locks onto one negative meaning about what we're going through and the process of just coming up with different ways of looking at the same situation is one of the biggest ways to reduce your stress and your feeling of control in the situation so that free resource there and checklist will help you come up with questions to ask yourself for that situation that's awesome we i will i'm definitely excited to download it (laughs) right like i need this right now So tell us how they can find you on social media as well. Yeah, so I'm probably most active on Instagram, and you can find me at Sarah Boyd um, or at Resilient Little Heart. So Sarah Boyd's kind of where I post, um, yeah, like more stuff. I want to say for adults, but that's <laughs> because Resilient Little Heart is really about um, helping parents with their children, so both places. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. I am just... 
I just feel so blessed to have met you. And it's just so funny because I tell people all the time, I'm like, I've met the most wonderful people on social media and they've become my fast friends, you know? So I feel like we're friends now, Sarah. <laughs> you have a new friend. Yeah. No, I totally feel like that too. So like, thank you so much, Nina and Rhonda. Like, it's just been awesome. You guys create a really beautiful space here to just have oh. open conversation, which I think is just so important. Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, absolutely. And that's what we want to do. So, well, thank you so much for joining us, 24 Karat Tribe. If you love our show, please subscribe and leave us a review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, 24 Karat Conversations Podcast. And until next time, 24 Karat Tribe, spark along. Bye.